temper tantrums to crying cancel culture are everywhere. In the news, on social media, and now even in our government. But what's really going on? A new podcast demystifies the panic and dispels the many myths about cancel culture. It's called Cancel Me Daddy. It's hosted by Caitlin Burns, the very first openly transgender reporter on Capitol Hill, and our very own Oliver Ash Klein, who's actually my producer here on Brave Not Perfect and one of the founding members of the Trans Journalists Association. Caitlin and Oliver Ash shed light on what they call the cancel culture grift economy, delving into the latest scandals, laughing at the most outrageous takes, and taking a closer look at whose voices are actually being silenced in these conversations. It's fascinating, funny, and often surprising show that I think you're really gonna enjoy. Subscribe to Cancel Me Daddy right now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Or you might get canceled. Hey, it's Reshma, and you're listening to Brave Not Perfect, the podcast about breaking away from the cult of perfection. I am so excited to be back in your ears. I've actually missed you so much that I'm not going away this time. Starting now, get ready. You're going to get a brand new episode of Brave Not Perfect every other Tuesday. So make sure you subscribe to the show if you haven't already to make sure that you're getting the bravery you need to start this decade off right. These past few months, I've been busy getting ready for the new year and having so many conversations about how we can all fear less, fail more, and live even bolder this decade. And we've got so many fabulous shows already planned for you. I'm going to be exploring how we can all be a little braver in different parts of our lives. That means talking to some incredible experts who can help us navigate being braver when it comes to love, parenting, our finances, and so much more. I absolutely cannot wait to share the conversation I've had about bravery and activism with Cecile Richards, the former president of Planned Parenthood and the co-founder of Supermajority. It's fine to be the first, but not the last. And so lend a hand to a sister that needs it and bring other women along. Another highlight I'm looking forward to is my conversation with comedian Cameron Esposito, where we talk about bravery in relationships. Like you're just a person and marriages just end sometimes. And it's awful also. And it's not something that, that I can control by being cool or gay or queer or having the right haircut or the coolest jacket. And we have so many more amazing women coming on the show. It's going to be a really special year for Brave Not Perfect. Plus, I'll be answering your questions about how to be a little braver. Now, for the first episode of this decade, we're going to get into getting brave at work. And let me tell you, my guests, Jeannie Yandel and Eula Scott Bino, are a couple of bravery bosses. First of all, they're so passionate about fighting against patriarchy in the workplace that they made a podcast titled Battle Tactics for Your Sexist Workplace. But recently, they've had to get even braver. That's because the public radio station that owned and funded their podcast, KUOW, made the tough decision to stop making it. I really appreciate their bravery in coming on the show at such an uncertain time and talking about how they're going through all this. And I'm excited to share our conversation with you. So I know your situation has like drastically changed not so long ago. 
tell me about it. Like, what happened? How'd you find out about it? How do you feel? How are you feeling now? Mm. <laughs> yeah, so um, we had a, actually like a really fantastic event on my birthday, November 6th. And then the next morning, they invited us in for a 930 meeting. I told Jeannie on my birthday, I was like, you know, I think I'm we're getting fired tomorrow. And, you know, you can't really be fired from a show that's like a contract, but I don't think it's a renewal. And she was like, no way, Jose, Eula, come on. The black woman deficit is real, but maybe not that real. And um, they let us know that it just wasn't something that they could um, continue to create with the uh, cost of it all. And that the show's numbers had um, had some issues between season one and season two. I still work at KUOW. You know, I don't think it's a big secret that we, like many other places, are trying to figure out what it looks like to try and make a show that has a lot of downloads in a field where there are approximately 80 gajillion different podcasts. I think that's the exact number. I looked it up before I came in here. Um, (laughs) You're not wrong. Yeah. In terms of those hard numbers, I don't think we broke through at the level that, you know, the, the radio station wanted us to break through, which was really hard to hear. I was sad that this happened. I was hopeful that we would continue, but I wasn't sure how it was going to work. One of the things that we figured out making season two is we kind of ran at it really, really, really hard. And we had a crazy deadline schedule that we had set up. It was really hard to meet. I ended up having a medical issue in the middle of it that Mm. I decided not to say anything about because I wanted to get the season done. So I ended up once our production schedule was over, I went into surgery like a week later. Wow. So there was there was a lesson there that, yes. um, you know, perhaps deciding that you are going to make something really quickly and you're going to meet a really intense deadline is not nearly as important as other things like your health, for example. Absolutely. So it seems like it's like there's this conversation that desperately needs to have, like the one that you're having. Like women, men, we need tactics to actually fight sexist workplaces, period. And it doesn't really matter how many downloads or eyeballs or ad dollars there are. Like we need a space for that conversation and that content. And it shouldn't happen where you feel an enormous amount of pressure to the point that it's coming at your health. Like they need to happen in a healthy space. Yeah, And the thing that I keep hearing, I don't know if you're having the same experience, Eula, but like I keep hearing this conversation is so important. This podcast has to continue. Please don't let this podcast end. And which is really nice on the one hand. It's like, yes, I agree. I don't want this podcast to end either. And I don't think Eula or I intends for it to end. But on the other hand, it's like, okay, now we just have to figure out like what it looks like to make sure that this thing exists in a way that doesn't murder either one of us. Yeah. Have you been thinking about what's next? Or are you just like taking time to process? What do you think is next? It's really interesting trying to think about how the show continues, because I think the next conversation would be what just happened. Right. Like, how did we create something or go down a path of right and good and then still end up in a position where despite literally everybody saying that they wanted something to come to fruition, that it was a good message and a necessary message. The one woman of color is now out of work for me to lift that load. It 
would require me to shelf so many other parts of my life like I did for the show initially. Yeah. Oh, that just sounds hard. <laughs> yeah. I know. And then I think what we're going to have to do is take a year, like a whole year to probably really unpack everything and uh, get together what conversations we want to have. And then maybe don't start those conversations till, you know, we've had that much time because I think two people will, if they really are excited about, you know, a season three, I think we'll also have the funding for a season three, but at that point too, but we need more support. You guys, forever was listening. Who's like, Oh, I love this show. And I think you guys should keep going. Don't just tell us to keep going. Like for real, Jeannie and I have a lot to do right now. Uh-huh. Instead, um, call us or email us and re- let us know um, how you can give us some money. I don't want your money money. Cause that just seems weird. But what I, we really want is the ability to do this and to uh, spread it as far and wide as we can. And I'm a huge believer in uh, history being the thing that's going to take us into the future, which I know sounds so weird, but like we're making history right now in these moments as we're having three women conversating about workplace sexism. And I think it's really important that all of these podcasts are made so that people are able to listen to them at some point. And there is something really valuable to what would come out of season three. We just have to make sure that we have the freedoms to make it and not freedoms that take away from our ability to uh, close with our children, keep them uh, insured, or uh, keep food on our table. So you guys just suffered a big setback, and that's hard. Like People are always worried about failing because they think that failure can break them. And for some people, it actually can literally like physically break you. What oh, we had a breakdown. Got, I oh. know. So what, how did you talk to me about how you recovered? Because I'm looking at the two of you right now, and I, I know there's sounds, but there's also a lot of strength that's coming out of the both of you, right? So talk to me about the recovery from failure. Was it hard? Was it easy? Has it, you know, what are your tactics on that? Here's what I figured out. I figured out that, like, it's okay to not know everything right now and to realize that, things are going to become clearer as we move forward. So here's what I know right now, that Eula and I really like working together, that Eula and I, regardless of what happens with the show, are going to be friends and we're going to be in each other's lives, which is really important. And I know that there are people who actually want to help shepherd us into this next world where a season three happens, where some iteration of battle tactics for your sexist workplace exists. And I know this because they've like gotten in touch with me and they have wanted to set up meetings. I think it's fair to say that probably battle tactics for your sexist workplace failed here at KUOW in meeting the objectives that everybody wanted it to meet. But that doesn't mean that the show was a failure and it doesn't mean that we failed. Mm-hmm. And I know there's a future. And even though I like to know everything, Eula's the idea person. I'm the person who likes to know everything. I don't know everything right now. But for like the first time in my whole adulthood, I am OK with that. Mm. And that actually feels kind of cool. Yeah, that's powerful. That makes me feel better, too. You know, because Jeannie is such a like an organized person, the unsureness of what was next had me really more worried about Jeannie than me, which I know sounds I know it actually sounds pretty normal. Right. Because, you you know, know your friends. Mm -hmm. For me, I've, I've had to start over again. 
And so like I'm prepared for that in a lot of ways and not a lot of ways too, right? Because it's different being 35 and it's different being a mother. It's like, those are big differences probably this time. Yeah. I want to talk about your show a bit. First of all, where did the name of your show come from? Yeah, it was like all a dream. <laughs> so I think Eula came up with a name and she thinks I came up with the name. Jeannie came up with a name. So what it is, is we're, we're brainstorming names and we're trying to come up with things that aren't sexist. The one that was the most uh, like tongue in cheek that I thought was funny was uh, Battlestar Hysterical. Initially, Battle Tactics for Your Sexist Workplace was like the tag under the title. So it would be, you know, Battlestar Hysterical battle tactics for your sexist workplace. And then we kept saying this over and over. And I was like, oh, it's just the tag. And I was like, it just needs a sing song under it. It's like battle tactics for your sexist workplace. Um, and then, um, and so I recorded that and I sent that to Jeannie. Cause I woke up the next morning and I was like, why did you send me a voice memo at like one o'clock in the morning? And it was you singing battle tactics for your sexist workplace. <laughs> and I was like, that's all we need. We just need people to be able to Google it. You know, I think it's something really valuable in a name that is just Googleable. Um, if that makes sense, I think it's important for some a woman to be able to sit down at her computer at work and say, oh my gosh, this is the most sexist workplace. Hey, listen, my organization is called Girls Who Code, right? Same thing. You want to learn how to code? Okay, then you go on and you find us. So it's very easy. So your show focuses on like tactics. What were some of your favorite battle tactics? Mm. I, for me, I, th I would say all of them are like, get get a posse, get organized, you know, build with people. So many of our tactics are impossible to really, or so many of our challenges, I should say, are impossible to accomplish individually. That's an interesting question because some of my favorite people that we talked to continually reminded us that like, uh, if you are suggesting that lift yourself up by your bootstraps and then sexism and racism won't be a thing anymore. Like that is false. And that just like makes things worse and also creates this impossible situation where somebody thinks they're a failure because they're not fixing institutional racism and sexism by like whatever dressing for the job they want or something like that. Even with that, the stuff that I thought was really interesting was addressing your own mindset about who you are and what you're capable of. We did an episode on imposter syndrome, and one of the guests talked about she studies neurology, and she's written a book about how emotions are made in the brain. And she talks about paying attention to the things your body does when you think you're not prepared for a situation or you don't belong in the room, like your palms start sweating, you get a little shaky. And she was like, look, that's not your body saying you're not ready for this. That's your body having like a reaction that it has every time it's about to learn something new. And your brain is just telling you this story. But if you can maybe assign a different meaning to those physiological reactions that you're having. It's not about you not being prepared. It's about you getting ready to go into battle. And I loved that so much, that idea. I love that. So it's like, you know, like people say that your number one fear is public speaking and people always get afraid. And I always tell people that your fear or the fact that you're sweating or you're nervous means you actually care. Mm -hmm. yes. It doesn't mean that you're like assign again, a different word, a different meaning to what's happening to you physically. So I know you guys say that every workplace is sexist. Now at Girls Who Code, it's mostly a workplace of women and women of color. And I'm always thinking too about the things that we do that reflect patriarchy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
teach me something. I would say that patriarchy is just the culture is just everywhere, man. And it bleeds out of us kind of, right? It bleeds out of how we judge each other's outfits and our looks, right? To, you know, how we bring up casual conversation and what we talk about in the workplace. It's really interesting to me what I uh, feel comfortable talking about even around women versus the things that I really need to talk about. Like sometimes I really need to talk about like what I'm making for dinner and how to like plan that meal and to prep things and to really get organized around surviving a weekend with my family <laughs> and um, having to manage all of the things that are going to be expected of me as you know a working woman these days. And instead I'm talking about the things that I feel like are just like casual uh, conversation and maybe I'm not building enough on things that we where I can come together with people. You know. I always think about words that get thrown around that feel really good when you say them, particularly in a workplace. I keep landing on this word passion and passionate. That shows up in like hiring language and job listings. It can come up in performance evaluations when you're sort of talking about whether somebody's happy. There's a DEI powerhouse here in Seattle named Jody Ann Bury who talks about authenticity as well, which is something else that comes up a lot. And for me, I feel like patriarchy hides in those places where you say the word, it feels great. You want somebody who can be authentic at work. You want somebody who's passionate about the work. But there's no real objective measure for what either of those things are supposed to look like. And so you end up measuring based on a standard of the ideal worker who is basically Don Draper from Mad Men, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. There's a ton of academic research about the ideal worker. And so for me, it's like patriarchy kind of hides in those corners where you're talking about, like, you've got to be passionate about what you do. I mean, do you? Because passion is not a sustainable state. It's supposed to be a temporary state. Um, And, you know, when we talk about authenticity, we have to be really clear about whose authenticity is acceptable and whose authenticity gets rewarded uh, and whose doesn't. Right. So what are some of your bravest workplace moments I'm, I mean you say brave and I think foolish because <laughs> <laughs> for me the most brave moments are I, I usually get fired like the next day and that's fine that counts that is brave because you don't it's it's like Cardi B no F's given right mm, I do give I, I want a job and I want a paycheck I would love to just stay somewhere and just like be able to um, flourish long enough you know what I mean Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I'm OK with uh, how much movement is required for me. Like, I know that that's going to be like my life story. Movement is like my thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so I'm OK with that version of it. So but if I'm thinking like most brave and foolish, I'm a huge NPR listener. And, you know, you hear all the time that like this has been partially funded by the Ray and Joan Kroc fund or whatever. So I uh, had this impression in my head that Ray and Joan Kroc, the owners and you know handlers of McDonald's were like good people. And so there was this community center opening in Boston that was the Ray and Joan Kroc community center that is owned and ran by the Salvation Army. I was like, this is probably somewhat in the same lane and vein as NPR and I would love this job. That's not true. The Salvation Army is the complete opposite of an NPR station. It's the complete opposite of progressive. So I was working at the front desk and I really enjoyed the community part of it. But um, after just a couple of weeks, one of my coworkers was promoted to be in charge of everyone at the front desk. And he had no experience at all. And he couldn't even use a computer. And what ended up happening was this was his first job in 
some time. But he started taking all of my ideas. And this happens to a lot of women, right? Where somebody's just just asking you questions and then you're like looking at them and you're going, yeah, but I told you that yesterday. And so why are you asking for like background on that idea today? Oh, because you're you're telling this to our boss. And now our boss wants you to like evaluate and elaborate on this idea. And you don't have background to it because it's all my idea. And he did this a little bit for a little while. And then I just couldn't handle it. I'm not going to get ran over. And so we had a meeting where he was presenting my ideas and um, he kept pointing to me to to elaborate. And I kept just giving him out more opportunities to to do it himself. No, no, no. You, you go for it. And before I knew it, his face was twitching and um, <laughs> he was sweating. And the next day I was fired for not transferring a call properly. So, wow. you know, that's an amazing story. Yeah, I mean, I was out of work. <laughs> I call that brave. Jeannie, you got any good ones? Oh, man. Probably the bravest thing that I have done recently is I keep thinking about what my future looks like and what projects I want to work on here at KUOW without having a full understanding of what my entire future looks like. Mm. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Yeah. It says you're taking it day at a time rather than the 10 year plan. Yep. Yes, exactly. My manager often asks me, what do you want to be doing in five years? What's your five year plan? Those kinds of questions. And in the past, I have come up with something because I know I'm supposed to have an answer. And when we recently had that conversation and that question came up again, for the first time, I was able to say, I don't actually know. I don't know. And that for me feels scary. And so I'm going to go with that being bravery. That is bravery because that's brave, not perfect. So how can listeners follow you guys and support your work? Hmm. All of our social media channels are still active. BTSW podcast on Twitter, on Insta. Uh, We have a Facebook group, BTSW podcast, that is still really robust and really active, which was one of the coolest things that I have ever seen. Like there is such a community around this. It's amazing to me. Eula, is it fair to say that people can follow you on Twitter, too? Oh, yeah. So with me, Eula Scott Bino is, I think, my Twitter. On Instagram, it's Eula Lorene, E-U-L-A-L-U-R-E-N-E. And then honestly, if you want to just email me personally, my email is eulalorene at gmail.com. And I know that sounds weird to give out your email to people, but I love hearing from people and getting like inspired to keep on pushing. Aren't Eula and Jeannie fabulous? Well, good news. They're not going anywhere. The two of them are going to stick around and help me answer some of the really smart and thoughtful questions you've been sending me about bravery in the workplace. Stay tuned. I want to tell you about another podcast I'm loving called The Brown Girl's Guide to Politics. It's from Wonder Media Network, and it's all about amplifying the voices of women who are too often forgotten in most media coverage. It's the one-stop shop for women of color who want to hear and talk about the world of politics. I wish a show like this existed before I ran for office the first time. In season one, host Ashanti Golar spoke with women like Stacey Abrams, who are literally changing the face of politics. Now Ashanti's back for season two, bringing women of color to the front lines of politics. This season, it's all about service, overcoming barriers, and understanding how to make positive changes to our everyday lives by taking a stand. Catch season two of The Brown Girl's Guide to Politics wherever you get your podcasts. 
So are you looking for something to listen to in between episodes of Brave Not Perfect? Hungry for some more courageous feminist voices? Tune in to Popaganda, Bitch Media's twice-monthly feminist pop culture podcast. Popaganda's glamour season is streaming now. It'll explore feminist fashion, witchy beauty rituals, the death of diet culture, and more. This show is hosted by the feminist writer, editor, and digital media superstar, Carmen Rios. She's spent over 10 years talking back from the feminist front lines. Propaganda features feminist activists, thinkers, and legends alike. Each episode grapples with the urgency of a feminist future, and it charts a course towards cultural change, which is what we desperately need. Don't just sit pretty. Subscribe to Propaganda today, wherever you get your feminist fix, to make sure you don't miss a minute of the glamorous stuff yet to come. Hey everyone, I've been really inspired by all your stories of bravery and thoughtful messages so many of you have been sending in. A lot of you have been asking for advice about how to be brave, so I wanted to take some time to answer your questions. Jeannie and Eula are sticking around to help out, so let's dive in. So, you ready? Yeah. Yeah. All right, our first listener has this to say. I'm currently thinking about looking for a new job, but my current job has no idea. I have a lot of loyalty to my team and my supervisor, but the job I'm in right now is just not bringing me joy and I want to pivot. And I think my anxiety is a little bit heightened because someone just left the office and the supervisor wasn't too happy about it. So my question is, how do I navigate the process of leaving a position without burning a bridge? I would say don't worry about burning a bridge so much as following your own individual path. You know, if you're happy with everybody, I would say that. I would say, man, I'm so happy with all of you guys. I just don't want to be a dentist anymore. Yeah. I wonder what specifically the supervisor is unhappy about, whether it's how the person quit Mm. or just in general, like now there's somebody I have to replace. This person quit and now I have more work to do. And now I'm mad about that. It sounds like this person does have a good relationship with everybody they work with for the most part. Um, And they've had a pretty, you know, they've had a pretty good run at where they are. So if one supervisor is going to be unhappy (laughs) because more work is created for them, um, I don't actually know if that's on the listener. It sounds like burning a bridge and upsetting a supervisor might be two different scenarios here. So it kind of sounds like they're doing everything right. Yeah, I guess. But if you're, if what you're saying is true, though, Jeannie, they could totally, you know, hire their replacement, if that makes sense, and stay for training and, you know, and offer that up in that exit. Right. Like, I love this job and I love y'all. It's just not the right fit for me. I actually really like to train the next person coming in. I always think sometimes it's about how you leave. Like you give your two week notice, you like get your successor ready. You make sure there's a smooth transition. And I, I know I feel like when people do that. I got nothing but love for them. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I got a good one here. Um, It's an important one. A listener wrote in asking, how can I be brave enough to tell someone their performance isn't up to standards? Yeah, that's hard. I feel like my performance isn't always up to standard. Honestly, what would be the biggest help for me is if somebody would tell me where I could get the information to get it up. You know what I mean? I would love it if somebody was like, you know what they offer over at the community college is this fantastic class on yada, 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 because I think that you would really benefit from that and could really, you know, continue on in this direction here within the company if you just strengthen these spaces, Um, because then it would be such an easy, you know, supportive kind of layup versus it feeling like a uh, judgment. 
you have to make sure that the person you're dealing with actually knows what the standards are to begin with. I can't tell you how many times I've been in rooms where people are fretting over somebody's job performance and then there's a realization that perhaps there was never any real clarity to begin with. I mean, go back to the job description, go back to whatever metrics you have. If no metrics exist there, you have learned something. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it could be very helpful to create metrics. Okay, so here's another one. One of our listeners wrote in asking, how do you propose a big change at a company when you just started working there? Oh my gosh. If you're black woman, don't do it. (laughs) (laughs) Just give yourself at least, you know, six years to uh, suggest anything. If you're going to talk about a big change, Talk about the economic outcomes that will that will be reaped as a result of this big change. It is really hard to talk about why culture change is necessary. I have no idea what this big change is, by the way. No idea. But always start with money. Always start with outcomes and go from there. And you have to build a team. I mean, with any kind of thing, you have to make sure that you're not the only person with this big idea, right? The thing, too, that I've learned with plenty of jobs is that sometimes when you have a really big idea, it's already been tried. And so you get there and you're like really excited about changing the world for everyone and making it better for them. And then lo and behold, it's like that episode of, you know, The Office where um, they try to do all the birthdays on one day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And you're like, we already tried that. Yep. Yeah. And so sometimes you have to find out like if your big idea is even a big new idea. Yeah. And then if it is a big new idea, if everybody's really on board with it, you know, try to get people to back you and support you. And again, if you are a woman of color in the workspace, maybe find somebody who's just as adamant of a believer to be the spokesperson initially. Right. Yeah. Because it is harder for people to hear a black woman's voice coming out of her mouth and not think, uh, you know, fire, fire. (laughs) And don't bring cupcakes or cookies when you do it. Because that's going to set another standard that you don't want to keep living up to. So, look, one of our listeners wanted to know, how do I set boundaries at work when my coworkers are asking me to do things that are below my position? So, i.e. the cookies. Yeah. Planning the Christmas party. All the work. There are two things you can do. I feel like one is we talked about this on the office housework episode. One is the glamorous no, which is, you know, I'm sorry that I can't organize the holiday party because I have these other big projects that align very closely to our mission and values. (laughs) But you should talk to Gary because he would be amazing at this. Or you suggest that you will take that on if you can work with someone else who is strategically is a great person for you to work with. I'll absolutely do this, but I want to do it with Reshma. And so if Reshma and I can collaborate on this, then I think this would be a really good way forward. The other thing you can do, and this was something that one of our guests suggested, is keep track of it, document it, and then make a case for a project manager. Eula, Jeannie, thank you so much for coming on this show. I know there's a lot happening. Bye. Thanks, Reshma. Bye. Thanks so much. It was so awesome to have Eula and Jeannie on Brave Not Perfect. I'm wishing them the best of luck with this new chapter of Battle Tactics for Your Sexist Workplace. You can find their show wherever you're listening right now. And make sure to subscribe so you know when they come out with more episodes. And if you have a question you'd like answered on Brave Not Perfect, you can send me an email at bravenotperfect at girlswhocode.com. Or you can leave a voicemail at 347 347- Seven six, brave and if you haven't already subscribe to brave not perfect to make sure you're getting the latest episodes to live your bravest life 
Hey, I'm Ashley. I'm the producer of Brave Not Perfect. And coming up on our next episode, Reshma is going to have a conversation with Shannon Watts. Now, if you don't know Shannon, you should. She's been called the NRA's worst nightmare because of the work she's done heading Moms Demand Action, which is a gun violence prevention group. If I had tried to micromanage all of them or keep all the work for myself, it just never would have it never would have happened. It never would have taken off. And I think that was an important lesson to me because there's so much work that needs to be done. We can't do all of it. It's such an incredible conversation that you're not going to want to miss. So if you're not already subscribed to Brave Not Perfect, now's a great time to change that. Thanks so much for joining us for today's episode of Brave Not Perfect. I'm your executive producer. Tanya Zeperonic and Charlotte Stone co-produced the show. And we get incredible support from Deborah Singer and Jenny Josephson. And I want to give a special shout out to Allison Wilson. She edited, mixed, and mastered today's episode and was such a big help in getting this one out the door. We've got so many good shows planned for you this year. And I am so excited to share them with you. Your next one's coming in two weeks. See you then.